The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, and welcome to a special interactive edition of The Bugle, in which we give you, the listener, a choice of which show to listen to. Your options this week are The True Story of Cushions, Magic Myrtle's Moonshine Mayhem, the podcast in which Magic Myrtle, 63rd ranked necromancer in Utah, which is a surprisingly impressive achievement, gets hammered on homemade spirits and attempts to make the dead laugh with some extremely rude jokes. Are you using your bucket wrong? <laughs> the Paint Colour podcast, 10 new paint colours described. What Worms Think, this week with a special interview with Germany's leading worm impersonator, Werner Worm. Be warned, Werner stays in character <laughs> throughout. Uh, which isn't great audio, to be honest, despite the undercurrent of sexual tension between himself and herself. Uh, Donald Trump screams at traffic, also known as the News from America, or The Bugle. Please make your decision now. You have chosen The Bugle. Hello, Buglers. Uh, Phew, that instant vote was much closer than I would have hoped. Welcome to issue 4169 of The Bugle. I am Andy Zaltzman, now... Aged 46, a whole year more than when I last spoke to you, which, coincidentally, is the age at which Buddy Holly, had he lived, would have produced an album of avant-garde hardhouse cover versions of the songs of the British punk band The Slits. In 1982, that would have been, a decade ahead of its time, shows what we lost when the music died. Also, uh, by coincidence, 46 is the equivalent age in Delania Americana Mayfly years, at which the average Delania Americana Mayfly starts to wonder what it's doing with its life. For the male Delania, that's about 18 minutes into its half-hour lifespan. (laughs) For the female, it's about the three-minute mark of her five minutes of existence. Probably just (laughs) enough time for the Lady Delanias to start meditating on the patriarchal unfairness of Delania lifespans, I imagine. And for the dude Delanias to think about running off with a two-minute-old female Delania and buying a flashy new car. Uh, I'm not suggesting, of course, that I've started wondering what I'm doing with my life at the age of 46. Far from it. I've been wondering that for at least the past 45 years. Well, joining me on this week's Bugle uh, from the other side of the world, it's Alice Fraser. Uh, Hello, Alice. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. How are you? I'm I'm well. I'm well, thanks. How's uh, how's Australia? Uh, It's it's, um, full of despair, but, you know, nice weather. That's... Despair it's and full nice of magpies weather. at the moment. Uh, I, I got swooped by a magpie earlier today. Right. But if there's despair and nice weather, is that slightly more irritating? Because you can't even use the weather as a metaphor for your <laughs> general sense of being. Yes, yes. To make poetry harder. <laughs> yes, the pathetic fallacy is a, a bunk. Uh, the pathetic fallacy is uh, something I've had... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's a family show. Um <laughs> Um, <laughs> I've met your family. <laughs> um, also joining us later on, uh, we have uh, two interviews uh, with, um, well, from across the pond in America, uh, with, uh, well, one with a bit of a blast from the bugle past and uh, one with, uh, with NATO Green. We are recording on the 12th of October 2020. On this day in 1492, Christopher Columbus's first expedition made landfall in the Caribbean. In uh, the Bahamas, they uh, exchanged gifts with the local Taino people. Um, Not sure, uh, history doesn't tell us what uh, Columbus received, but it is known that his hamper of goodies for the locals consisted of a bumper sticker, a branded CC Explorer travel bag, 
a leg of good quality ham, smallpox and a commemorative pewter tankard inscribed with the traditional <laughs> European greeting, congratulations, you've been colonised. Uh, on this day, 200 years later in 1692, the Salem witch trials ended. Um, at the time, of course, uh, there was considerable legal and linguistic semantic dispute over whether or not there was any difference between the word witch and the word woman. Um, but a <laughs> recent computer simulation has revealed that if tried under the laws of 1692, 97% of all people alive today would be legally witches. And who wins out of that, of course? The lawyers, always the way, still raking it in some uh, 328 years later. And uh, coincidentally, 328 is the number of spiders you're, stu- you're supposed to throw into your cauldron in some witches' recipes. Read into that what you will. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Board games, a special board game section. Now, we're all spending a lot more time at home playing board games, either literally or metaphorically with our inner selves. Uh, And we review the latest board games uh, to come out, including Forget Me What, which is a brilliant new game for the disposable instant media generation. Draw three cards to describe a new sensation sweeping the internet from uh, stacks of person-stroke-animal cards, activity cards and adverb cards to make a sensation such as a donkey canoeing, fearfully, or Mike Pence shaving his head erotically. Set the included egg timer going, and if any of your opponents can remember any aspect of your sensation, you lose points for insufficient viral ephemerality. Also, we review uh, another exciting new game, Top Turd, a deeply satirical game of politics in which you have to move your politician (laughs) around the board, collecting scandals, failures, indignities, and other assorted corruptions and career ineptitudes. Land on a make a speech or write an article square for the chance to win extra gratuitous offending and naked hypocrisy points. Compete with your opponents for most ethically squalid business practices or political policies until your reputation is so destroyed that nothing can damage you further. The 21st century politician's shield of invincibility the first person to achieve total unelectability wins and becomes the king turd who has floated to the top of the jacuzzi of politics <laughs> uh, also we review reboots of classic board games for our new uh, covid age including no risk an update of the world domination classic <laughs> risk for the covid age you begin on one of the continents and stay there having nothing to do with anywhere else in the world Uh, Each turn, the player rolls the dice, which are blank on all sides, and then does nothing. The game ends when all players agree that everything is futile. Uh, Also, Squabble, which is a cross between Scrabble and a Squabble, in which players have to dispute all words played by their opponents because, hey, it's 2020, we're humans, and how do we know we're alive if we're not in a futile argument with someone? And Nopperation. An inaction-packed, fun-for-none-of-the-family game as the much-loved electric loop-based game of Steady Hands Operation moves into the year 2020. Essentially, it's the same setup: the operation table with patients, a pair of tweezers for removing organs, all wired up to a buzzer and a light. But each player is allowed no closer than two metres from the board and no operations are allowed to take place. Uh, that board game review section in the bin. Are you a board games fan, Alice, or not? I'm not. I feel like I should be a board games fan. I played um, a fair bit of board games with with my first year university friends and then uh, to the point where they bought me a Trivial Pursuit board for my 18th birthday and they gave it to me and I thought, I hate board games. (laughs) What I liked was my friends. (laughs) 
Top story this week, COVID around the world. And, well, at last, some good news, Alice. We always focus on the negatives with COVID, uh, the pain, suffering, tragedy, the slow degradation of everything that makes life worth living, the crushing of the hopes and dreams of generations amidst the political flailings of the inept and unqualified, the agonising realisation that democratic politics is dealing with all of its challenges incredibly badly, the heart-rending lack of spectators at sport and face masks. And we bleat on about negative things like our governments awarding billions of pounds worth of contracts to companies with no discernible expertise but friends in high places. Uh, we bleat on about that as if companies with relevant expertise could have done any better, which they could have done, but that's not the point. <laughs> but what about the positives, Alice? What about the positives? Obviously, I mean, people do... It's not like we haven't mentioned the positives at all. People bang on about the displays of incredible humanity and generosity, nice homemade bread, the intermittent outbreaks of tokenistic performative corporate shame. But what about real, tangible measurable politics well this week at last there is one because billionaires are doing measurably well out of this global <laughs> pandemic that, surely that is something for us all to cling to yes yes andy the the headline that i read is the wealth of the world's billionaires is up 27 percent during covid open brackets cackles an evil wizard with a hard-on <laughs> for recreating the feudal systems of the past by re regenerating a peasant versus aristocracy format uh, I'm definitely not saying that the billionaires wanted or caused a massive increase in human suffering that directly caused an uptick in their personal wealth. I am saying that when you see your industry on a seesaw with human happiness, you might want to start trickling some of that wealth downward by, for example, <laughs> pinning employee wages to profit, you ravenous sarlacc mouth dick whips. <laughs> just, just always be careful when you're on a seesaw what may come trickling down from the other end. <laughs> I, I, the breakdown, if, if uh, I had a look at this, the breakdown of billionaire winners from the coronavirus is fascinating to me. So tech billionaires' uh, wealth is up 41%. That makes sense to me. The gentle touch of a grandmother, a spont spontaneous ego-boosting kiss slightly too close to the lips from a hot colleague, even the ability to punch a Nazi have all been sublimated to <laughs> unsatisfying technological, uh, technological proxies. The last even two the sometimes come incredibly close together of those as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, everyone's getting cancelled. Uh, even the self-protective ironic sexiness of a let's not define this relationship Netflix and chill has turned into a solo Netflix and YouTube at the same time. So that <laughs> makes sense. Healthcare billionaires also make sense. Their, their profits have gone up with mortality at the forefront of people's wallets and some of the nicer billionaires dropping funding into other billionaires like a money-based <laughs> version of suck and blow. Even the people who are offering things that people would especially want during a pandemic make sense to me. China's new richest person is a bottled water guy. Uh, James Dyson is doing uh, incredibly well. He's the top of the UK rich list because who doesn't want a top-notch vacuum cleaner when you have to spend 23 hours a day confronted by your own skin flakes? <laughs> the weird thing... <laughs> The weird thing for me is that the rise in billionaire money uh, reflects... My favourite breakfast it, cereal, incidentally. <laughs> the thing that's gone up is like stock markets and industrialists since late March. And that has happened even though most countries are in severe recession. The reason, apparently, is that industrials are being priced... Uh, pr the markets are pricing in what's called a significant economic recovery after the lockdown ends, which is a, way, a, a really nice way of saying that people are paying the people they think will be rich later by re making them rich now, which is a <laughs> significant portion of the reason that they will be rich later because nothing makes money like free money. <laughs> 
Oh, it's so reassuring that our economic system constantly learns the lessons from its historic mistakes. Um, <laughs> now, the way I look at it is, I mean, this is a, this is a genuine good news story. You said that the, the, the report from the Swiss bank UBS showed that the world's 10-digit net worth individuals have seen their wealth climb by over a quarter during the pandemic to just over $10 trillion. That's $10 trillion, or in layperson's <laughs> terms, how much? And that's not just in the pandemic. That was from April to July alone. Um, so basically April is when it... Basically, that's the, the just gave them long enough, April, to see how the pandemic was unfolding and say to each other, hang on, Team Gazillions, is it just me? Or is anyone else up for happy hour at Club Global Crisis? And... <laughs> And again, I think it's a positive because let's not forget, billionaires are one of the world's smallest minorities. Numerically, there are fewer billionaires than speakers of the Kalina language in Brazil and Peru, which is comparatively healthy, almost 4,000 people, almost double the amount of people who speak fluent billionaire. Um, (laughs) Extreme poverty uh, is set to rise uh, for the first time in two decades this year, but that doesn't matter so much out of sight out of mind and you know let's focus on the the, the success of of these these hard-working billionaires um the ubs report said that some billionaires have donated some of their 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 increased wealth to help the fight against covid the report said that they'd identified 209 billionaires um uh, who've publicly committed a total equivalent to 7.2 billion dollars from March to June. So that's around 10% of all billionaires who've committed to giving a bit of a shit. And they have pledged almost a hundredth <laughs> of a percent of the collective billionaire wealth pot to the global cause. You simply can't ask for more than that, can you? You, you cannot ask for any more than that. You can't afford to ask for more than that. <laughs> Presidents versus COVID updates now. And, um, well, Donald Trump has uh, proved conclusively uh, this week that the 210,000 people and counting who've died from or with COVID in the USA were all wrong. Uh, They were wrong to do so. COVID is actually a piece of piss on a cakewalk in the park. Uh, Those are the president's own words written with his own face. Um, I mean, it's a a miraculous recovery, Alice. I mean, from uh, you would have thought, you know, that it's a miraculous recovery really and it shows very much that you know god is clearly on the side of the uh the, the president who just who described his bout of covid as a blessing from god as well as a priceless election campaign opportunity the kind of thing only really awesome people get and no big deal unless you're a wimp about it and die but the key i mean he didn't say all of those out loud but it's very much all of those were implied <laughs> but he did say out loud it was a blessing from from god um i mean you are uh renowned to be in direct contact with uh various deities <laughs> um current present and, and future uh, is there any is there any uh, truth to, to this claim made by the president the thing about uh, trump's illness is that nobody believes any of it Everything that has come out from all sides of the equation, whether it's his doctors or him, just no one believes it. And they don't believe it for different reasons. If they're on his side, they think that it's a a secret plot that he's doing. And if if they're on the other side, they think it's a secret plot. And just nobody... What is the point of anyone saying anything if no one can believe anything anyone says? Well, that's that's getting very philosophical uh, now. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's only gave 
Trump a chance to channel his inner cartoon autocrat and indeed his outer cartoon autocrat. Uh, amazingly, how often those amazing how often those two go go together. He flew back to the White House in a chopper. Uh, although only after the chilly weather put him off returning naked in a burning golden chariot. Um, <laughs> he then heroically strode up a staircase, leaving himself majestically, only very slightly, obviously desperately gasping for breath. <laughs> he then removed his mask because, well, why not show your people you're unafraid of other people getting ill? That's the kind of strong leadership <laughs> we need in this world. And then saluted the military helicopter like any decent draft dodger would and then made the <laughs> chopper take off by saying, Arise, my pretty, pretty. Um, he's managed to turn it into some kind of personal triumph, uh, you know, the way he's projected it to, to the American public. You do get the impression that if he was a footballer, he would be the kind of footballer who would celebrate wildly and point at the name on the back of his shirt after a ball ricocheted into the net off his ass for a 94th-minute consolation goal and a 9-1 defeat after he had scored four own goals and repeatedly whacked his own goalkeeper in the crotch with a baseball bat. Um, and he told America not to live in fear of the virus. Um, which, you know, in a way, that's that's fair enough. It's also good, for example, not to live in fear of lions, but that doesn't mean that you have to demonstrate how little you fear lions by putting on a pantomime zebra outfit, smearing yourself in wildebeest-flavoured ketchup and prancing around a safari park shouting, look at me not being afraid, before fearlessly unlocking the gates of the lion enclosure. One of the things that is astonishing to me is that he told America that he had lied to them about the virus for their own good. Now he's telling them that he got the virus uh, because he was being brave for them. Uh, and uh, despite having already told them that he lied, what I think the people who say they like Trump because he says what he means then spend all of their time explaining what he actually meant by what he said. <laughs> Or explaining that he didn't mean what he said, but he didn't say it on purpose. And what he said he meant wasn't what he meant to say he meant, because it's obvious what he meant that he, it's so obvious that he meant, it's so obvious what he meant that he didn't need to actually say it. <laughs> That's, I think, a very good su summary of the last four years, to be honest. Um, but he speaks, he, spe he talks in innuendo, conspiracy jargon, half sentences. He uses language like an abstract impressionist to sort of herd people towards meanings that are more emotional states than they are ideas. Everything he says is a Rorschach test if the ink blots are always in the shape of a penis holding a gun and a massively <laughs> overdrawn credit card in the name of a shell company. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful image, Alice. Um, Thank you. He uh, was given a number of uh, experimental treatments to expedite his recovery and get him back to work as quickly as possible, uh, including steroids, plasma and the looming prospect of electoral defeat, uh, which I think was probably the most <laughs> effective medicine he could have had, to be honest. Um, uh, he, he downplayed the seriousness of the virus um, and basically said that if only the 200,000 plus losers who've lost to it had taken the simple precaution of having access to a helicopter, their own private hospital and a million dollars worth of medical treatment, they would probably agree with him instead of being dead. Uh, he was given dexamethasone, uh, which has a number of side effects, including pronounced mood swings and irrational disinhibited behaviour. And by coincidence, dexamethasone is what powdered baby milk was made of in the USA in 1946. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is that a fact? It might as well be. His um, <laughs> his personal physician, Dr. Sean Conley, I think came up with arguably the greatest piece of of uh, of doctoring in the history of medicine. He was asked uh, why Trump ha had been given. Uh, he was asked why he had not informed the media that Trump had been given supplemental oxygen. He said, "I did not want to give any information that might steer the course of the illness." in another direction <laughs> which i think has given us 
an insight into how diseases work and how psychological viruses are. You know, they 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 are confidence based creatures, very much like like human beings. And COVID, whatever you say about it, that's a virus that listens it listens it listens to data and it listens to what doctors say and you know <laughs> if you don't build it up then the virus is going to lose lose its edge yes uh, it's uh, covid is very smart it can solve simple puzzles it's almost as intelligent as a doctor no that's covid's and um, <laughs> this brings me to uh, the launch of my new product, uh, which oh, yeah. is, is uh, fact-based medicine, which is where you just say facts or lies at a disease until it goes away, and I'm calling it a fact-scene. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that was worth the build-up. I think, Alice, it's the bugle. If anything, you could have gone a lot further with the build-up. <laughs> We also saw last week the uh, vice presidential debate, which was rather more civilised than the first presidential debate, an accolade right up there alongside with being a more child-friendly toy than a hand grenade. Um, and <laughs> uh, obviously there's been a lot of talk about the fly that landed on uh, on M- Mike Pence and uh, ended up saying, no way I'm eating that. And uh, <laughs> the fact that the candidates, Pence and Kamala Harris, were uh, separated not by seven feet, as uh, initially planned, but by an infinite chasm of American division and despair. So that, that <laughs> seemed a lot safer. It did. It's just amazing to watch them both try to be incredibly gifable. It's become <laughs> the marker of politics, is just <laughs> doing the eye roll that people are going to send to each other. <laughs> Exclusive Bugle interview now, and we now cross to California to join uh, NATO Green. This is a very exciting uh, new development for the Bugle. We are interviewing NATO, who's sitting in a car in the middle of some news. Um, uh, NATO, just uh, explain where you are and what what you've been doing. Uh, Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Hello, Alice. Uh, I am sitting in a car. Um, So some Buglers will probably know this. So as a, you know, I'm a comedian, but I also have a, a hobby as a union organizer. Um, and, uh, and so I just, uh, it, it is, as, as I sit here, I just organized uh, a incredibly successful strike. It was a five-day strike of over 3,000 public health workers in, uh, in and around Oakland, California. And uh, the strike ended at 7 a.m. Pacific time this morning, I was uh, out in front of the buildings and then walked the workers in, into their buildings uh, at 7 a.m. to end their end their successful five-day strike. Uh, so I'm checking in with you, and then we go back to the bargaining table in a couple of hours. So the strike was uh, essentially nurses at three hospitals in Oakland. Not just nurses; it was it was all the job classifications. Oh right. Uh, okay. So uh, nurses, um, uh, uh, house hospital housekeepers, hospital food service workers, social workers, physical therapists, uh, uh, phlebotomists, you know, ultrasound techs, everybody. We also, uh, and we covered, I think, four hospitals and three satellite clinics. So, uh, and, and it, you know, at certain points we had just like hundreds of people filling the streets uh, uh, and blockading the streets. And what was unusual about it is... Uh, is that it wasn't just a strike over the, over money, but it was really a strike over over sort of austerity, like chronic underfunding of the public health system. And about 20 years ago, the county that Oakland is in, Alameda County, kind of quasi-privatized its public health system, and the strike was uh, 
to partly to undo that and get the 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 county to take responsibility for public health again. And on the second day of the strike, they agreed basically right. to do that. I don't know if you've been on strikes before. The weird thing about going on strike, Andy, is that like you you have these huge ideas about you know we're about reducing economic inequality and we're going to change the world and you know the rising of the working class. And then as soon as the strike starts, it's like. Where are the granola bars for the picket lines? <laughs> um, you know, every strike develops its own sort of unique picket line culture. And so, like, there were some cases where individual departments would go, would sort of take a, grab a bullhorn and then go march around and just shout, shout about how much their own managers sucked. So there'll be some people <laughs> being like, you know, uh, what do we want? Contract. When do we want it now? And then there's another group of people down the block who are like, Jeff. You know, <laughs> so that's great. Um, also, you know, 3,000 workers, it's a hugely, hugely diverse workforce, probably 80% people of color, um, and uh, a, a lot of uh, a very international workforce. And so, and because it's Oakland, um, a big part of the strike culture was uh, synchronized dance numbers. So, so different sites would like create these like elaborate synchronized dance summer numbers on the picket line and then post videos. And then there were battles between them. Um, do you know, do you know, I'm, I, I know I'm going to regret asking this. Andy, do you know what ghost riding the whip is? Uh, no, not, 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 not personally. No. Uh, okay. So, so, uh, ghost riding the whip is some, is some, as we say, some real Oakland shit. Uh, so, <laughs> It is, uh, it comes out of the sideshow culture, sideshow culture, like Oakland car, uh, o- o- Oakland's underground cult- car culture. And ghost riding the whip refers to, uh, uh, putting your car in neutral, unlocking the parking brake, and then getting out of the car and dancing around the car while it rolls slowly forward. Um, <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's what Henry Ford had in <laughs> mind when he invented the Model T. <laughs> so, uh, so we had people ghost riding the whip on the picket lines. Um, so in true Oakland fashion, we had uh, a group of Ethiopian nurses aides doing uh, synchronized dancing to Amharic music. We had a bunch of Nigerian nurses dancing to Nigerian music. Uh, so we had a Zumba class uh, on the picket line. We had a giant inflatable 20-foot rat for no reason, just so people <laughs> like to see it. Um, so that was very exciting. And then... And then, uh, late at night on day four of the strike, we found out that someone who had been on the picket line had tested positive for COVID-19. And so we scrambled and, you know, didn't want to have our strike be a super spreader event. And so with about half an hour notice, we assembled 20 workers who were on strike, our elected rank and file leadership. Uh, and then in a span of about three hours, um, evaluated the information, made some decisions, planned and then executed a response to contact trace, <laughs> isolate and contain, contain the exposure and shut down in-person picketing. Uh, and so what I'm trying to say is that 20 striking healthcare workers had a more competent response to the pandemic <laughs> than the entirety of the U.S. and British governments combined. <laughs> um, so uh, so that's uh, that's how it's been. Right. So, so, so amongst the some of it was sort of related to covid safety and complaints about understaffing inadequate training and shortages of uh personal protective uh equipment i mean i get isn't 
yeah, wouldn't having adequate staffing, decent training and decent equipment show the virus that we're afraid of it? And and isn't it better to, to, to go with the American government <laughs> and not show that kind of weakness to, to the virus, which hates our way of life? <laughs> uh, yeah, so the just to give you a sense of it, um, you know, staff, they, they have, because they don't have enough PPE, staff have been given medical gowns to wear into patients' rooms that say uh, not for medical use. So that's fun. Um, <laughs> uh, under California law, in the public sector, an employer is allowed to seek uh, a court order to have exemptions from the strike um, for uh, workers who are irreplaceable. And the group of workers that were irreplaceable, that I mean, so they tried to get an injunction to stop the strike. There was a whole legal ordeal. Uh, um, and the group of workers that they wanted to uh, uh, be compelled to cross the picket line and work during the strike were workers in the psychiatric hospital who were mostly uh, Nigerian immigrants, and they wanted to compel those workers to have to report to work. And the workers were like, F you, I'm striking. And uh, and so, and I was really struggling to remember, like, Andy, do you know, is there a word for what, what do you call it when you try to compel Africans to work against their will. Oh, oh, I should, I should, I should know this. Oh, oh, oh we, don't, we don't really like to think about it. Is something, something wrong with this? Oh, oh, it's lodged deep in our national consciousness. Yeah, it was something like that. Right. So, not a good look for the entire system. Right. <laughs> uh, so, as with everything else in the United States, when something is messed up, usually the explanation is slavery. <laughs> um, <laughs> we've talked about Cardi B and the song WAP. Uh, one of the members actually rewrote WAP as a picket line chant. Um, so that was, and shall I read you the lyrics briefly? Go, go please, please. please okay, here we go. I said certified freak striking seven days a week. Workers and patients make that layoff game weak. Woo. Uh, yeah, you f***ing with some workers and patients. Bring our contract and respect. For these workers and patients, beat it up, take in charge, extra proud and extra hard. Put these <laughs> right in your face, cut them out like a credit card. Workers out here on the front line, bosses work from home safe inside. COVID breakout, cover your eyes. Uh, something like that. I always, I always knew that song had a, a kind of a hard left wing undertone. Absolutely, taking that, taking you to show it to us all. Well, I mean, my favorite bit is the is the parking attendants taking temperatures. I, you know, that you said it was a bad idea that they take them from their elbows. I'm surprised they didn't take them from their cars. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And now we're, we're now we're on on to victory to settle the, settle the contract. Well, con congratulations. That's a well fascinating and uplifting uplifting story. So thanks for telling us all about it, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you on a, on a full bugle at some point uh, some point soon do enjoy the next three weeks nato i'm sure you're uh, you know it's going to show america at its absolute best and the, the build up to uh, to the election andy i have to say one of the best things about the strike is that i've had this single-minded focus on pulling <laughs> off the strike and I, apparently donald trump has done something uh there's you know an election underway i have no idea what's happened in the news <laughs> Uh, for the last uh, week or two, so that's like a, it's been a real vacation. Well, now it's time for another trip across the Atlantic to talk, well, to to someone we've not spoken to on uh, on the bugle for for for, for some time. 
and uh, it is hugely exciting to, to, to welcome him back to the show. Uh, please give a huge bugle welcome where, wherever you are to the returning hero that is the American. American, hu- hello. How, how, how have you been for the last, what, decade or so? Oh, can't be a part. Can't possibly be a decade since I've seen you guys, huh? I mean, uh. if so, I can tell you this. <laughs> it's been a hell of a decade. You know, it's been a hell of a decade. We're doing, I mean, things over here. You know, you guys never talked to me when uh, the ship was sinking over here with Aaron Obama. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> once again, things are great. And then the phone rings, you know. Right. I guess, yeah, I guess, well, we've got to cover our cover our backs. Uh, I mean, what have you personally been up to the last, you know, the last, the last however many years since, since, since you were last with us? I've been doing pretty good, you know, a couple of divorces. Uh, but overall, <laughs> that's, that's, doing... fewer, that's, that's fewer than your average decade, isn't it? Well, you know, look, I, I can tell you what's happening right now, and I don't want to get into relationship advice, but women over here now, all of a sudden, they've got all these ideas about, you know, not, you know, not being called this, not being called that, you know, so it makes, you know, relationships pretty tough. Right. You know, it makes relationships yeah. tough. Really, what I've been working on is some ideas for Shark Tank. I think that's uh, right. my, my next play. Okay, so that, that, a, that's, that's where you pitch a business idea yeah, where we have Dragon's Den in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what yeah. they call it in Britain because here we have real businesses and stuff, so we call it Shark Tank. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, that makes you know, sense. I know yeah. in England you guys used to have dragons, but here. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an interesting four years for America. I mean, how would you sum up the last four years, the Trump era, as uh, as as as, as, a, as an as as the American that you are? I mean, I don't. I'm happy to sum it up, but obviously, I think anyone could see it's been the greatest four years in uh, you know. Right. Centuries. Well, you, you you say that anyone could see it, but it seems that you know at least half of America think the exact opposite of that. So I mean, what? Nah, that's fake news. Now that's what. See, that's what they do. You see, this right. is what they do. Like they yeah. t- so they take facts and distort them. This is what's. And I'm glad you asked about this because this right. is what keeps happening. So yeah. there's any number of topics that people will tell you are true and aren't true, and everything's up for questions right now. You know, they'll say things like the Earth is round. You know what yeah. I mean? Or, or it's a globe or something. And you go, well, is it? But is it? You know, so right. I'm all about <laughs> asking questions that open up people's minds that are, right. you know, right there in front of them that maybe they're not seeing. And I can yeah. tell you that the last four years, this country's stronger. It's <laughs> You're right. You're right. it's stronger. It's better than it's ever been. <laughs> and you it's, sure, uh, you sure you're okay? Yeah, no, I'm, I just got to... I just got allergies. A lot of allergies. Uh, yeah. A lot of my friends have allergies. So, yeah, it's been right. a tough allergy season. I got yeah. um, very tough. I think. Real bad headache. I got like yeah. 103 fever for the last week or so, and uh, right. I can't taste. I lost my. It's just I don't know. I guess it's bad pollen. Right. A lot of pollen. Everybody okay. at my friend's house. We had a big party last week. Like half the people from the party got allergies afterwards. Right. So yeah, I've heard the pollen. Was, the pollen count is un- unusually high if you add it all up. Yeah, it was weird because we were all we were all inside and had the windows closed, so no pollen came. Right. But yet, a lot of people got allergies from it. I don't but know I mean, pollen's a lot more advanced than it used to be, isn't it? It sort of finds <laughs> it adapts. Yeah, I think so. Evolution, evolution in action, isn't it? Yeah, well, if you believe in that, but yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, <laughs> yeah of course. Now, I mean, one one interesting uh, aspect of uh, of uh, Donald Trump's president. Well, there's two. There's two things. You, we look at the statistics of it. Um, one thing has gone up. And one thing has gone down under Trump's presidency. Uh, factually. Oh, patriotism. I could tell you right now, patriotism is up higher than it's right. ever been. And yep. I think what's gone down is cowardliness. 
Right. Okay. Well, I mean, you, I mean, that's that might be two different ways of looking at this. What's come down is shark attacks. Shark attacks. Have, <laughs> statistically, there have been fewer shark attacks under Trump <laughs> per year than Obama. Uh, that makes, and also, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, how, how would you how would you explain that? Are, are sharks now? Is America so much greater as a nation under Trump that sharks are now more scared of Americans than they used to be? Is that hundred percent? hundred percent. Right. Because they know we're not going to just stand there and take it. You know what I mean? Right. And that's the whole energy we've been putting out. Right. To whether you live on land, whether you live in the ocean, America is not to be messed with. You know right, what I mean? okay. So if you're going to attack someone in the water at the beach, you know, go for, I don't know, a German, maybe. Right, okay. You know? <laughs> Another thing, that, well, the thing that's gone up is the, the sales of, of jet skis has uh, gone up. Now, as we, yeah. as we talked about before with you, the jet ski is the most, it's the most American object in the, in the universe. Well, it's a and motorcycle on water. I mean, it takes yeah. everything that's great about the world and combines it into, you know, one thing. Right. Yeah, so it makes sense. It's like, in other yeah. words, the jet ski is what I call the freedom indicator. Right. So the more freedom you have, the yeah. more people are going to have access to jet skis. So okay. obviously, as Trump has increased freedoms, uh, you're going to have more people being able to experience the great joy of freedom on the water right. with the, the wind in their face. Right. And also, a lot of times, water on them, even right. though they're on a device. But of course, a lot of Trump's heartlands are in are in the you know, the, the central part of the USA, yeah. which doesn't doesn't really have sea so much. Well, they got lakes. They got lakes. You know, look, uh, I'm not jealous. I'm not jealous of where they got to ride their jet skis, but they can right. ride them. So I just uh, sorry, uh, the American uh, Alice Fraser. Pleased to meet you. Um, right, nice you may you. have met my alternate universe self uh, quite yeah. recently. Um, now, I have a question, because you say that uh, jet skis are the ultimate expression of freedom, right? Yeah, absolutely. But recently, the NRA tweeted that their uh, bullet sales had gone up about 134%, and they said, uh, that's a lot of freedom seeds. Are you telling me that jet skis grow out of bullets? Well, look, there's two different types of freedom, all right? There's the freedom of experiencing just, you know, actual, no one is near me, freedom. And then there's the freedom... See, and this is a big thing in this country. So you see, the left is scared, all right? They're scared of their own shadow. But what they don't realize is you don't have to be scared as long as you build a wall around the entire country and uh, have a lot of bullets in your house <laughs> and guns. So that's why, they're, you know, we're not scared. You know, we just, we're just ready. And I think that when you <laughs> see bullet sales, uh, you know, right, it is tough to get bullets right now, I can tell you. That's why you've got a stockpile. And I've, t- I've been telling people that a long time. Gold and bullets are the only two things you need. <laughs> no, because if people have, you know, oh, they got you got to stockpile food. I go, do I have to stockpile food? Because if you have food and I have bullets, then don't I have food? <laughs> you stockpile the food. I'll take the bullets. And then when I'm hungry, I'll come by your house and we'll have a conversation about how much of your food I can have. <laughs> now, this year, of course, dominated around the world by the, uh, the coronavirus, or as I know you call it, the, the alleged cor- coronavirus. I mean, yeah. how I have you... Ch- the China hoax. Is right, okay. Hoax. So, I mean, how have you personally <laughs> taken the fight to, to, the, to the China hoax? Uh, you know, what I've been doing, I think, which is important, is whenever I go to Applebee's for, uh, for, for lunch or dinner, you know, which is three, maybe three to five times a week, I won't wear a mask. I will not right. wear a mask. I walk in there. I won't wear a mask. And, and and here's the reason. Now, there's a 22-year-old kid there who's the host. You know, he's the host. He's the major D, whatever you call it. And he gets upset, you know, because he's got to deal with me, a full-grown man, 
uh, who's angry with a lot of times a rifle on his shoulder, uh, refusing <laughs> to wear a mask. But I like to take the fight to the. I like to take the fight to the little guy. I like that right. these people with with low paying jobs at these small places that have to deal with my anger. You know, so that's one of the ways to do it. Right. So you you you, you scare people like that. Yeah, at the local level, at the local level. And that will drive the virus out of America. Yeah, it also will drive the fear out of uh, people who work at Applebee. Not rather than increase the fear, because it would seem that that might... No, 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 if you give people a little dose of fear, it cures them of the bigger fear. It's like a vaccination. It's like a fear vaccine, exactly, if you believe in that sort of methodology. (laughs) Right. I mean, look, I'm not a big vaccine guy, but if Trump says this is going to work, I believe him. But like something like polio, no thanks. I'll, yeah. I'll roll the dice. <laughs> roll the dice with that. Okay, fair enough. That's right. more. Yeah. That's so, I mean, more. so that's so that's a uh, that's a projection of American strength, is it? That America can say, well, we can afford to lose more people than any other country because we're so. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that that is something that we're number one at, right? Right. Okay. Just any yeah. any. We're form just of... listing things that we're number one at. Right. Okay. Today. That's and I mean, if we start doing that, then it, it will never end, really. I'll no, we'll be here all day. I don't yeah. know. You know, I'm not sure right. how much time this show is anymore because it's been right. a long time. Well, <laughs> on that note, I think we should we should probably bring this 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 conversation to a to a close. It's been a fascinating insight into a side of America that maybe on this you know, kind of lefty woke show we don't we don't see we don't see enough of uh, Americans. So yeah, no, I think that it's important to be woke. You know, I yeah. do. But uh, right. I think it, it's all relative about what you woke, what you woke right. about. You know so what, what I mean? You, yeah. What wokes? What wokes you up? Well, you know, for me, what wokes me up right now is realizing that everything I'm hearing coming out of the news media is fake. Right. And I think the more I realize it's fake, the angrier I get. Right. And I think the angrier I get, the more I want to take my guns and my bullets to the streets. Right. And so I'm waking up about the fact that even though. My doctor says stairs uh, aren't good for me right now because of my weight. <laughs> that I still might have to, you know, I still might have to to get out there. You know what I mean? Right. And um, but then the other part of me is like, well, it'd be easier to just do like an online civil war. You know, because right. I'm I'm tired. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. So I'm waking up to a lot of things. Right. You know? Well, anyway, American, thank you very much for for, for joining us. Do, do enjoy the ele- the election in in a few weeks. Maybe we can. Talk to you again after that and, and see yeah. how, how you're looking forward to... I'm happy yeah. to talk to you afterwards, but I can tell you right now, Trump's going to win. Right. I, I look, a lot of us have been saying that we even need an election. You wouldn't understand that, but why not right. just have one leader in charge forever and then their kids can take over? You know right. what I mean? That's, that seems that's like more the American way to do it, you know? Well, I mean, that's that's just baked into your DNA from the early days, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something you guys wouldn't understand. That brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle with our two world exclusive uh, interviews um, and contributions from the wonderful Alice Fraser. Alice, anything to plug? Yes, I I do a daily satirical news podcast set in an oh. alternate dimension that is a sister podcast to this podcast. It's called The Last Post, and we have merch. Uh, we have merch. We have. Uh, if you are li- a listener to The Last Post, you'll know that in The Last Post uh, dimension. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and um, Bob the Sentient Trash Island are running for office uh, under the Democratic flag and we have campaign t-shirts available, uh, all of the proceeds of which go to the Rock Slash Island 2020 campaign. So that's a, a great cause there. That sounds like a crazy utopian world. Uh. 
Um, oh, and you can find them on the buglepodcast.com. Oh, yes. I well, think. you can also buy Bugle and merch. Yes. Uh, from this But more importantly, the last post merch. <laughs> well, both. You know. <laughs> you've, you've got more than you know, one body to clothe. Um, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you can wear different clothes on different days. That's what I was trying you. to say, Alex. Um, yeah. I'm a natural born publicizer. Uh, <laughs> You can find all of uh, Alice's various works sp- spread all over the internet. Thank you for listening, Buglers. We'll be back next week, and I will now play you out with some more lies about our premium-level voluntary subscribers to join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme and to give a recurring or one-off donation to keep the show free and independent and thriving. Go to buglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Chris Plumley wrote a children's book called Nonny Mouse, the Anonymous Mouse. It was, however, rejected by the publisher, who claimed the title was self-contradictory, and added that a cloak of anonymity is something shared by many, if not all mice, anyway. Chris responded, Oh, well, here's another idea. How about Paul Powerprick, the pedantic publisher? To which the publisher responded, It's better, but it's still no. Muammar Gaddafi, interestingly one of five people of that name who are regular donors to the Bugle through the voluntary subscription scheme, pitched another book to the same publisher about a friendly dried grape who had the magical ability to bring people back to life. His book, entitled Raisin the Dead, was also rejected on the grounds that it made it sound like the raisin itself was dead, which the publisher thought would be a hard sell in the kids' market, without even touching on the author's refusal to use a pseudonym. John Tracy also had a fleeting brush with children's publishing. However, his book, Millie Peed Goes to the Shoe Shop, was rejected as being, quotes, overly long and repetitive, aside from being a harrowingly overt satire on the life of the former Philippines first lady and despot wife, Imelda Marcos. George Hasser wonders if whales ever have erotic dreams about submarines, and whether, when they wake up from those dreams, they feel more or less submarine curious than when they fell asleep, and whether or not they feel ashamed. Liz Cole was once asked in a job interview what eyelets of Langerhans were. She had a vague recollection of learning about them at school and took a guess that they are the scene of a naval battle off the north coast of Prussia during the early 18th century War of Spanish Succession, or a 1990s thrash metal band. Neither was correct. Liz was asked to leave the room instantly. Following Liz into the same interview, Ian Tucker, on being asked the same question, was also sure he could remember what Islets of Langerhans were from school, and suggested that Islets of Langerhans were the famously narrow passages between seats of St Eustace's Cathedral in the Dutch city of Langerhans, the church renowned as the thinnest church in the world, built to fit in between two canals just four metres apart. Passing the disconsolate Liz and Ian, Amian Jahadian had absolutely no idea what islets of Langerhans were. However, he took a wild stab at them being parts of the pancreas containing hormone-producing cells critical to the process of metabolising glucose, and was surprised and delighted to be told that he was correct and had just landed himself a job as head of pancreatic surgery at the world-renowned Charité Hospital in Berlin. G.J. was given a homemade mixtape in the 1990s by a Radiohead-obsessed friend who had a tendency to misspell simple words when writing them out longhand, and omitted the letter R from the title of the song Fake Plastic Trees in the handwritten track listing. G.J. therefore spent several years believing that Tom York, lead singer of the influential rock band, was vehemently opposed to the modernisation of golf equipment. 
In another bad job interview story, John Woods had to give a PowerPoint presentation at a job interview once, but accidentally included a transition between two slides which featured the face of Beelzebub emerging from a fiery background and mouthing the words, You will all burn. Needless to say, John was not employed by that particular kindergarten and blamed the incident on having lent his laptop to his friend Weird Ken for his TEDx talk on Satanism in the Age of Tech. And finally, Aki Burmis is pleased that giant squid never evolved the ability to live on land as well as, or instead of, in water. I think they could have been great colleagues in the workplace, don't get me wrong, which is how I judge all species, says Aki. However, I just think those wandering tentacles would have got them into trouble at some point, in a business meeting or at an office Christmas party or something. No fault of theirs, but I think it's for the best that we dodged that particular evolutionary bullet. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.